backstage, I gave uh, Tyler Dove, one of the singers today, a big hug, and he told me that I smelled really good today. <laughs> so I got that going for me, which is, which is nice. I, l- I love this series, Welcome Home, Welcome Home, Home. We've always wanted Southside to be a home away from home, uh, like a place of hope and healing, a place of belonging, and hopefully a place of becoming. But for me, I sometimes get fixated on words, and I've been fixated on the word welcome lately, welcome. You think about it literally, what does welcome mean? It means it's good that you're here. <laughs> and, and, and I'm going to tell you, it's, it's good you're here. Whether you're here for the first time or the 400th, it's good you're here. Like, you and I might not believe the same way. We might not think the same way. We might come from very radical, radically different backgrounds, but it's good you're here. It actually wouldn't be the same without you. And I know something about you and me that even though there are differences, that the stuff that should pull us together is so much greater than anything that should ever be able to tear us apart. So welcome home. I want to start out today with a story out of Atlanta, Georgia. A man was being tailgated by a woman who was in a hurry. He comes to an intersection, and when the light turned yellow, he hit his brakes. The woman behind him went ballistic. She honked her horn at him, she yelled her frustration in no uncertain terms, and she ranted and gestured, as people do. While she was in mid-rant, someone tapped on her window. She looked up and saw a policeman. He invited her out of her car and took her to the station where she was searched and fingerprinted and put in a cell. After a couple hours, she was released, and the arresting officer gave her her personal effects. He said this, I'm very sorry for the mistake, ma'am. I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn, using bad gestures and bad language, and I noticed the what would Jesus do bumper sticker, the choose life license plate holder, the follow me to Sunday school window sign, the Christian fish emblem on your trunk, and I naturally assumed you had stolen the car. (laughs) Now, I tell you that because it's pretty hilarious. I also tell you that because I think the world honestly is pretty sick of people who stick Jesus stickers on their car, but show absolutely no evidence of a relationship with him. All sticker, no evidence. I, I think the world is pretty sick of, of people who stick stickers on their car, but don't live, love, or look like Jesus at all. In, in fact, I would go as far as to say this, that in a church like ours, there are people who walked into church today And today might be your first day ever walking into a church. And one of the reasons why it took you so long to get here is because you ran across some people who were all sticker and no evidence. Or or maybe today is your first time in a long time walking into a church. And maybe one of the reasons why you stayed away for so long is because you've run into some people like this in your life. And and, and I bring it up because it kind of relates to a story that I want to tell today. We've been talking at church about this guy who lived 3,100 years ago. A man by the name of Samuel. And just to kind of catch you up a little bit, Samuel's mom was Hannah. She was a godly woman. And she was praying that God would allow her to have children because she couldn't have kids. And, And God answered her prayer and she had a son 
named Samuel. I love that name Samuel. Samuel means, God, you heard me. It's a, it's a name of gratitude. The thing is, though, when Hannah was praying that, that God would give her a son, she said, God, if you give me a son, I will dedicate him to God for his whole life. So when Samuel is a little boy, like he's four, maybe five years old, she brings him to Shiloh, which was the religious capital of Israel at this time, and she dropped him off to be raised in the temple in Shiloh by Eli, the head priest. It's incredible. And she knew in that moment that she was only going to see her son Samuel from now on, like once a year. She would bring him a little set of clothes and love on him while she was there, but that was it. She knew that he would be cared for. She knew that he would be loved, but it wasn't going to be the same, and yet Hannah was incredibly grateful to God. She went on to have three more sons and two daughters, but she didn't know that then, you know? And so we pick up the story there. Then Hannah and her husband Elkanah went back home to Ramah after dropping Samuel off. But the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Enter into the story Eli's sons. They play a pretty big role, but I want to stop there for today because I think that's such an interesting contrast. You know, we talked about Hannah. Hannah was a godly woman. She knew God and it showed, you know? And let me give you a, a spoiler alert. Samuel. Samuel grows up to be a godly man. He knows God and it shows. But Eli's sons, on the other hand, you know what? They were, they were scoundrels. You know why? Because they knew about God but they didn't know God. They were sons of Eli, the priest at Shiloh. They knew all about God. They just didn't know him. If I could put that in today's terms, I would say this. They went around with, with, with Jesus stickers on their chariots with absolutely no evidence that they had a relationship with him at all. All sticker, no evidence. They didn't live, love, or look like Jesus at all. It's a problem. It always has been a problem. A thousand years after Samuel lived, a man by the name of the Apostle Paul was inspired by God to write a warning to a protege of his, a kid named Timothy, about people just like Eli's sons. This is what he said. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Obey your parents, as an aside ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Listen to this. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. All sticker, no evidence. A form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. It's a problem. It, it, it was a problem in the time of Samuel. It, it was a, a problem in the time of the Apostle Paul. And it's a problem today. A guy by the name of Larry Osborne put it this way. Spiritual maturity is a life that consistently exhibits the character of Jesus Christ. This means character, not giftedness not biblical knowledge, 
not zeal. And that shouldn't surprise us since some of the most divisive and self-centered people in our churches are those who are highly gifted, know the Bible inside and out, and exhibit a zeal that puts the rest of us to shame. They just happen to also be jerks. And I'll stop there just for a second. Because I think there might be a tendency at this moment for us to look and go, (laughs) yes, that's right scoundrels. I know exactly who he's talking about. He's talking about the wingnuts from the church over there. Man, there are people in my life, I wish they could be here to listen to this, the scoundrels. I'm not actually talking about them, I'm talking about me. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about you. See, the, the, the whole reason that we've been talking about this guy named Samuel who lived 3,100 years ago is because there's a timelessness to his life. In in other words, you and me have so much in common with him. God had a plan for Samuel. God has a plan for you. God had a purpose for Samuel. God has a purpose for you. Samuel played a pivotal role in the history of his nation. The same thing is true for you. Can I put it this way? Welcome to the world. It's good that you're here. It wouldn't be the same without you. Welcome to the world. It's really good you're here. It wouldn't be the same without you. See, we've been talking a little bit the last few weeks about this whole uh, sense of of redemption, redemption, restoration, renewal, redemption. Can, Can I tell you how it works? Can I tell you where it starts? It starts in the inside of individual people like you and me. Let hope rise in me. Let hope rise in me so that hope can rise through me. See, as, as, as I go, if I take, as I take that step from knowing about Jesus to actually knowing him, I, I become, not perfect, but I get changed from the inside out. Let hope rise in me. All of a sudden, people look at me and, and, and they say, man, you know what I see in his life? I see love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Let hope rise in me so that hope can rise through me. That's redemption. That's the plan. Welcome to the world. It's good you're here. It wouldn't have been the same without you. Let hope rise in you. Let hope rise in me. Let hope rise through us. But there's parts of my life, man, where sometimes I feel like I'm all sticker, no evidence. There's moments in my life, there's days in my life when, when I feel like there's too much sticker and not enough evidence. So how can I take that step from knowing about Jesus to just really knowing him? Well, Jesus explained it this way. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. How can I live this life where I see hope rise in me so that hope can rise through me? Well, it starts here first. Love God with all your heart. The Bible, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the core of me, you know what I mean? Like at the very, very inside of me, the core. Love God with all my heart. What does that mean? God becomes my true north. 
God becomes the why behind all of my what's. God becomes my motivation, my strength, my hope. He, he, he becomes my compass, my true north. It's called faith, faith. Getting to this point in my life when I say, God, when you call, I will listen. Where you lead, I will follow. Faith. Love God with all my heart. God, you are my true north. And it's really, honestly, it's really easily, easily, it's really easily, it's really easy for me to stand up here today and say to you, man, you just gotta have faith. Just jump in, it's a leap of faith, but it's very difficult to do. Give you two reasons why. Number one, um, there's this phrase that I hear people say sometimes, man, you gotta, you gotta see it to believe it. You ever hear that? You gotta see it to believe it. You know what faith is? You gotta believe it to see it. You gotta believe it to see it. That's why it's faith. Here's what I'm saying to you, man. If, 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 if today is your first day ever walking into church, or if you've been spending your whole life attending church, the next move is your move. God's already moved. <laughs> if, if, if you look in the Bible, in the New Testament of the Bible, in, in the book of Romans, chapter one, what you read there is you see that God has written his signature on the sky. God has signed creation. You look around this world and, and, and you look at the mountains and the ocean and the, and the forest and the rivers and the lakes and all the beauty and all the majesty and you say, man, that's artistry. And God says, I'm the artist. I signed it. The move is yours. And then God sent his son, Jesus. Jesus stepped into human history. He lived, he died, he rose again. This is historical fact. And he did it to change my past, my present, my future, and my eternity. And now the move is mine. And you gotta believe it to see it. As you step out in faith, tentatively step out in faith, one next step at a time, you say, Jesus, where you lead, I will follow. We're talking about baptism, what a great example. Jesus said, believe and be baptized. Will you take that step? Because when you do every step you take, more and more you see, my God is great, my God is good, my God is with me, my God is for me. I see I have a hope, I see I have a future. He is so worth trusting, but you gotta believe it to see it. Second reason why it can be difficult is because there's so much competition for true north in our heart in this world. So much competition. Jesus said that the, the, the number one competitor in this world for your heart is going to be money. Money. That m money becomes the, like, I don't know, the, the, the true north of my life, the why behind all of my what's, the, the driving force of my life. Heard someone say the other day, man, they, tell, they, 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 they say money can't buy happiness, but I'd sure like to try. Ever hear that one? Money, money can't buy happiness, but I'd sure like to try. Can I tell you something? You currently are trying. But you, you understand, right? Like, geographically and, and historically, we don't have to go very far, chronologically or geographically, to find people in this world, listen, that, 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 that are absolutely, utterly, and totally convinced that if they had one-tenth of what you have, that they would be absolutely, utterly content. 
absolutely, utterly joyful, absolutely, utterly at peace and full of hope. They're convinced of it. When he can't buy you happiness, but I'd sure like to try. You currently are. Is it working? There's a lot of competition in this world for our heart. Money, there's success. See, if success becomes the driving force in your life, if success becomes the why behind all your what's, what you'll notice is that uh, you have to measure your success somehow, <coughs> and, and, and it always ends up here. It always ends up in comparison. And so to see if success has taken on a really big role in your heart, all you have to do is, is ask yourself one question. How do I respond to other people's success? Because it always ends up a comparison, right? So are you stoked that they're stoked? Do you rejoice in their joy? Or is there something about their success at times that frosts your flakes? Does their success threaten you a little bit? Does their success make you a little bit jealous? If so, that, that, that might be because success has taken a bigger role in your heart than it should. Might be pleasure, might be popularity, might be power. In our world, sometimes it's relationships. Like, relationships are awesome. But in our culture, it seems at times that um, we've come to believe that, man, if, if, I, if I'm just in the right relationship, that it's going to meet all my deepest needs. It's the why behind all of my what's. I was looking through books the other day. <coughs> and, uh, I saw the title of this book, which I thought really spoke well to how big a deal we make relationships in our culture at times. The title of the book was this. It said, uh, if you can't live without me, why aren't you dead yet? Have you ever said something and you thought it was going to be really funny, but you say it to a big group of people and they don't think it's very funny at all? That happens to me. That just happened to me. Okay, so anyways, uh, <laughs> Whoever clapped, I love you so much. <laughs> too late, man. Like, <laughs> way too late. Can be anything, though, right? Any, any, anything can become our true north. For some people, it's religion. Listen to this. Religion, that's a tricky one. I read my Bible. Awesome. I, I sing real loud at church. I attend church. I, I'm in a small group. I, I pray every day. That's all good. But, but, but do you see the key word in all of that? The, in, in, religio in religion, the focus is now off of God and onto me. When you, when you love God with all your heart, it, it, it means, God, you're my true north. I want to I wanna follow you. And you've got to believe it to see it. Because I think we've all come to points in our life when, when we've said, there's got to be more to life than this. You know what I mean? Like these moments that, that hit you where you're like, man, I, 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 I'm sure that I was made for more than this world. I need a, I need a hope that, that, that goes higher than this world. And here's the crazy thing. Think about it. Sometimes as a culture, sometimes for me, sometimes for you too, we're looking for things in this world to give us a hope that goes beyond this world. That doesn't make any sense. We're, we're, we're looking for things in this world that we think that is going to give us a hope that transcends this world. That doesn't work. It's kind of like a bunch of castaways on a desert island. 
and they're, and they're just longing for hope. They're longing for word from, from the outside, from the outside world, for something beyond their little island. And one day, a message in a bottle washes up to shore, and there's much rejoicing until they open up and realize the bottle was sent by them a week ago. That's what it's like thinking that the things that we're chasing sometimes in this world are going to give us a hope that goes beyond this world. Say after church today, I tell you guys, you know what, after church, you know, part of the, part of the South Side tradition we're going to start today, after church we're all going to run, uh, we're going to run a 10K. <laughs> and, and let's just say for some reason you decided you were going to do that, you know. And so we're all, we're all running 10K, 25 laps. 25 laps. I did the math. It's 25 laps, man. That's a lot of laps. And let's say uh, you didn't drink enough water today. You probably didn't. You don't drink enough water. Okay, you should drink more water. But okay. So, so let's imagine after church you run 25 laps. 25 laps. That's a lot of laps, man. And you run 25 laps. And you get to the finish line, and, I, and I'm there, and I'm like, <laughs> you did it. Have some cotton candy. What would you say? You, you, you okay? Cool. I'm not talking to you guys anymore. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna go on with my thing. Okay. You wouldn't be happy because you want water. Is there anything wrong with cotton candy? Nope. Cotton candy's awesome. It's just not what I need right now. You know what Jesus said? Jesus says, "I am the living water. You got to believe it to see it. Love." God with all your heart and with all your mind. Romans 12 says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Love God with your mind. You gotta think about what you think about. You gotta think about what you think about. Jesus said you'll be you'll be blessed when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You gotta renew your mind, and, 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 and so for me, I gotta think about what I think about. So, so it's important not to get all religious on you, but it's important to read your Bible every day. And I'm, I'm, I've made that such a huge priority in my life, every day. Spend some time in silence and solitude every day, if you can. And I'm not talking about three hours, you know, that just, that's unsustainable. Hear about the guy that went to join a, a, a monastery? I told you I was ADD, right? Okay, so he, this guy went to join a, join a monastery, but in order to join, you first, have a, first of all have to do a three-year apprenticeship. Three years. And for that three years, you've got to take an absolute vow of silence. Not a word for three years. Okay, except at the end of every one of these three years, the guy, the, 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 the guy is allowed to say two words. You get what I'm saying? Okay, so he goes through the first year, not a word, vow of silence, amazing, okay? Goes to the head priest at the end of the first year, head priest says, well done, my son, good job, you're allowed to speak two words, and he said, bed, hard. Okay, okay, so second year, year two of his apprenticeship. Again, not a word, does it, Amaz isn't that incredible? To, uh, not, not a word, gets to the end of his second year, head priest calls him in, well done, my son, you've done it, two words for this year, he says, food, cold, okay? Goes back into his third year, not 
a thing, doesn't say a single word, gets to the end of the third year, the head priest calls him in, says, my son, do you have two words for me? He says, uh, I quit. And the head priest looks at him and says, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. All you've done since you got here is complain. <laughs> you ever think something's going to be funny, but then you tell it to a whole group of people and it doesn't have quite the... That happens to me sometimes. It just happened to me again. Okay, so... Uh, but some time in silence and solitude, away from the chaos, away from the, the seeking, val- like, away and just... You and God. Give me two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, seven minutes, whatever. While we go to church, one of the reasons we go to church is to re- renew our mind. You know, at church we remember God. You know, we remember God. Oh yeah, God, God is great. And God is good. And God is with me. And God is for me. And I gotta believe it to see it, so I'm willing to put my faith in him and take that next step. You know? At church we, we remember, we also rejoice Thank you, God, for everything. We talked about this a lot uh, uh, last week. Like, if if you could give yourself one lens to tackle the rest of this year into 2020 even, that lens would be gratitude. When we we rejoice, when we thank God for everything, all of a sudden it puts us in this mindset of gratitude, which is a great place to be. So at church, we, we, we remember, and we rejoice, and we also receive. God, show me one next step and I'll take it. And you know what happens? Hope starts to rise in me so that hope can rise through me. Welcome to the world, by the way. It's good you're here. It wouldn't be the same without you. So I I gotta think about what I think about. It's, it's, It's good to get with a group of other people who want to see hope rise in them so that hope can rise through them. We want to do more than know about Jesus, but they want to know him. One of the best ways to do that is through a Southside small group, by the way. And I, I know Cassidy and Brianne already talked about it. There's tables outside if you want to sign up. If you're not in one right now, you should probably get in one. You've got to think about what you think about. I want to renew my mind. In, in his letter to the Philippian church, Paul said this, you, you know what you should think about? You, you, know, you know what you should think about? You, th- you should think about what's pure and what's lovely and what's admirable and what's excellent and what's praiseworthy. And you, you should think about those things. That'll, that'll renew your mind. And man, I'll, I'll tell you, the older that I get, the more I'm trying to be really careful about the kind of stuff that I take into my mind. Like, I mean really careful. I really try to avoid people who gossip. I do because the problem with gossip is like, I can't unhear it. I can't unhear that thing that that person said any more than I can unring a bell. I try to avoid Goldilocks. We live in a Goldilocks culture. Do you know what I'm saying? Have you ever read the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears? And, it, and it's too hot and it's too cold and it's too hard and it's too soft and it's too this and it's too that. And man, oh man, it's warm outside. It's too warm outside. It's too cold outside. It's too, and it's just like, whoa, we gravitate towards the negative. We're talking a lot about what's excellent and praiseworthy at times. I was in, a, in the gym the other day, and this lady comes up to me. I never talked to her before. She says to me, um, this gym is really go, going downhill. I think it's going to go out of business. And she seemed really pumped about it. And I said, I'm not sure. And I walked away because I want to think about what I think about. It's a Goldilocks culture at times. 
I'm going to renew my mind. I'm going to think about what I think about. I am I'm married to a beautiful girl named Corinne. Been married going on 29 years now. And I'm a, I'm a one-woman man. She's my standard of beauty. She is my standard of beauty. So I'm not going to conform to the pattern of this world. So I made a decision a long time ago. I don't, I don't look at women. Like I see women. I value them. I, 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 I love them as God has called me to, to love them, but I don't look at them, look at them. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't, I don't look at them in person or I don't look at them on a screen. Because if I do, then all of a sudden I'm conforming to the pattern of this world. What's the pattern of this world? It's lust instead of love. What does that mean? It's about getting instead of giving. It's about having instead of helping. I'm trying to think about what I think about. I don't want to be all sticker and no evidence. I want to renew my mind. I'm not trying to judge you for what you, <laughs> what you watch for me. I, I don't watch horror movies, man. I don't. I just, I get scared. I get like super scared. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't need any help to like grow the fear in me. <laughs> I, I don't. I, 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 I need to grow the courage in me. One of the things that kind of makes me chuckle is especially movies about the devil or demonic movies, you know, about demons. It's how they're portrayed, like all like gross and bloody and gory kind of funny like I, I, I was thinking about it this week you know you understand right like the devil's goal for you his number one plan for you is not to rip your entrails out no no like his number one goal for your life is that you will be a person who sticks a Jesus sticker on your life but shows absolutely no evidence of being in a relationship with him that you won't live, love, or look like Jesus at all. Man, if he does that, he can do way more damage than whatever he happens to do with your entrails. I don't know why I keep using the word entrails, but it's happened several times now. And I want hope to rise in me. I want hope to rise in me so that hope can rise through me. So I, I love God with my whole heart. Got to believe it to see it. I love him with my, my whole mind. You know, I, I start to really think about what I think about, and, and finally, I love him with my whole soul. Soul speaks to purpose. Purpose. Welcome to the world. It's good that you're here. It wouldn't be the same without you. Let me end with a story. It's out of a book called Of Whom the World Was Not Worthy. The book told of the sufferings of the true church in Yugoslavia where so much wrong has been perpetrated by the politicized ecclesiastical hierarchy. That which has gone on in the name of Christ for the enriching and empowering of corrupt church officials has been a terrible affront to decency. One day a true evangelist by the name of Yakov arrived in a certain village. He commiserated with an elderly man named Simran on the tragedies he had experienced and talked to him about the love of Jesus. 
Simran abruptly interrupted Yaakov and told him that he wished to have nothing to do with Christianity. He reminded Yaakov of the dreadful history of the church in his town, a history replete with plundering, exploiting, and indeed with killing innocent people. My own nephew was killed by them, he said, and he angrily rebuffed any effort on Yaakov's part to talk about Christ. They wear those elaborate coats and caps and crosses, he said, signifying a heavily commission, but their evil designs and lives I can't ignore. Yaakov, looking for an occasion to get Simran to change his line of thinking, said, Simran, can I ask you a question? Suppose I were to steal your coat, put it on and break into a bank. Suppose further that the police sighted me running in the distance, but they couldn't catch up with me. One clue, however, put them onto your track. They recognized your coat. What would you say to them if they came to your house and accused you of breaking into the bank? I would deny it, said Simran. Ah, but they saw your coat, retorted Yakov. This analogy quite annoyed Simran, who ordered Yakov to leave his home. But Yakov continued to return to the village, year after year after year after year. just to be a friend to Sibrin, help where he could, lend a hand, encourage, and share the love of Jesus with him the best he could. One day, finally, Sibrin asked, how does one become a Christian? And Yaakov taught him the simple steps of repentance for sin and of trust in the work of Jesus Christ and gently pointed him to the shepherd of his soul. Sibrin bent his knee on the soil with his head bowed and surrendered his life to Christ. As he rose to his feet, wiping his tears, he embraced Yaakov and he said, thank you for being in my life. And then he pointed to the heavens and he whispered, you wear his coat very well. That's it. That's it. You wear his coat very well. I don't, I don't want to be all sticker, no evidence. <laughs> I know that I'm far from perfect, but you know what? I want every day, every day, I want to live, love, and look like Jesus just a little bit more. I want to wear his coat really well. And I think the way that we can do that is we love him with our whole heart. You've got to believe it to see it. We love him with our whole mind. You gotta think about what you think about. And you gotta love him with your whole soul. Listen, listen, listen. Welcome to the world. It's good you're here. It wouldn't be the same without you. Let's pray. just thank you God thank you for this moment thank you for this family all different backgrounds all different lives all different mornings that we've walked through today but I pray that you would just give us the strength 
to wear your coat real well. Pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great week, guys. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you at any of our three Sunday services held at Sardis Secondary School on Stevenson Road in Chilliwack, British Columbia. For more information, please visit southsidelife.com.